Hey guys, welcome to Frosting on the Cake with Ellie and Heidi, Ellie's mom. (laughs) I hope you enjoy our podcast. We will be talking a little bit about ourselves, just different things we think of throughout the day, a little bit of Jesus sprinkled in, and who knows, we might even interview some people. Come along for the ride. Hello, hello, everybody. Good morning here in Michigan. It is quarter to eight on a Thursday morning, and it is cool and brisk outside once again on this November morning. Um, But I just wanted to say good morning, good afternoon, good evening, Uh, greetings to you, and blessings on your day, evening, drive, walk, um, whatever you're doing at this moment listening to this, I hope that it finds you doing well. Anyway, um, I had been praying this morning and trying to think about what it is that I should share with you today that God has laid on my heart. And today, he really has encouraged me to talk with you about two things. One being rest, which might seem kind of odd. Why would I want to talk about that? And then also um, the battling that we may have within our spirit about rest. So first of all, I'm just going to jump right in. Rest. Rest is good. Rest is very good. God created rest for us. God commands us in his word to rest. Now, I'm not going to get into the whole thing about um, the debate over what day is your Sabbath day? What do you do to rest? I don't think myself that um, in God's word, he is specific, meaning rest like you need to sit all day long on Sunday or whatever day your Sabbath falls on for you and literally do nothing. Myself, I feel that rest is different for different people. Maybe some people find it restful to do nothing. Maybe they're busy running and going all week long and they really just want to kind of stay home and have a day where they just relax and do nothing. Maybe they enjoy doing puzzles or going for walks or reading, or maybe they just want to sit in front of the TV and watch football like my husband sometimes does. And I put watch in quotation marks because that often means he's sleeping, um, whether it's on the couch, on the floor, in his chair, whatever. Um, Whatever you find to bring your soul peace and rest, I think is what God's word wants us to do on that Sabbath day, whatever day that is for you. And I say whatever day Sabbath day is for you. Most of us here in America, we celebrate our Sabbath, if you will, on Sunday. We get up, we go to church, and then maybe we spend the day with family or go for a family meal, or we just go back home. Um, Other people have their Sabbath day on Saturday. I just learned the Jewish culture has their Sabbath day from Friday evening into Saturday. So whatever your Sabbath day is, maybe you have to work on Sundays, so your Sabbath day or day of rest falls during the week or on a Saturday. The point of having a rest day or a Sabbath day really is to set a day aside that is set apart from the other six days where we are to be working and accomplishing things that we have one day that is set aside and set apart, that is holy, if you will, from the other days. Because holy and sanctifying a day means set apart, that you have something that is set apart from the other days where you rest. Now, here's the key for me. 
that when you rest in him, so you rest in the Lord, you rest in God, you rest in the spirit, and that day is set apart and sanctified and holy for you. I don't think it's super important as much as what day of the week that is, as it is what you do to set that part a day that you are resting in him, that you're resting in the Lord in the spirit, and that you are doing things that sanctify that day and set that day apart. Now, I bring up rest and I start with rest because I believe in our busy culture that we do not honor rest. We think that if you take the time to rest, and I'm not talking about vacationing, okay, because I do think that we as Americans um, do a pretty good job of vacationing. We're not the best at it. I know many of our counterparts across the world are much better at realizing that we work so that we can enjoy life. We don't, um, I think we as Americans, we don't realize that, you know, God gave us life and life abundantly and life is to enjoy. And part of that enjoyment is taking time off of work, our nine to five job, or whatever hours you may work, whatever your context is for work, that um, we have kind of missed the boat or you know missed the mark or however you want to say it when it comes to realizing that God gave us life to enjoy it and we're not just supposed to keep our you know nose to the ground and work, work, work our entire life. We are supposed to enjoy life. And um, I personally believe that if you enjoy your job, your work, that you never, quote, work a day in your life because you love and enjoy what you do. You find, you have found, you have finally found, that's what I was trying to say, what the Lord has had for you as work that can be used as the tool for you to provide for your family the needs and necessities of life, but it's also a vehicle in which you are able to honor the Lord with it and you are able to tithe from that, but you also are able to enjoy life and vacation and relax. So when I say rest, I'm not meaning go on vacation. I mean continuously once a week taking that day to set aside for refreshment for your soul so that you are filled up again so that you can then go on to the week ahead into your work, into your job that you have found And hopefully you're able to do that job with joy because it's not like work, you know, (laughs) Um, something that you don't look forward to. I know for myself, it has taken me many, many years to truly find what it is that the Lord has called me to do. And since I have been doing that, I honestly, I love my job. I love my work that the Lord has blessed me with. And yes, it's work and yes, it's a schedule and I have to commit to it and show up, of course, but I don't hate my job. Therefore, it does not make my spirit downcast. Um, I think many people work because, well, a lot of us have to, which is fine, but I think many people go to their jobs and don't love what they do and they don't haven't found their purpose in that. And if you're one of those people, I encourage you to pray and seek the Lord in that so that he can show you what work he made for you so that it wouldn't be work. It would be a source of joy and enjoyment for you. And then in turn, when you have a more joyful spirit at your work, you then are a blessing to those around you and to the people that the Lord brings across your path for that job. So having said all of that, uh, like I said, I bring up rest because I do feel that we, pardon me, we as um, Christians and as Americans, I believe that we battle in our spirit over giving ourselves the permission 
to rest, whatever that looks like for you, you know, that day of rest and then what you do. So I wanted to kind of delve into God's word a little bit more about that battle we have within our spirit as a Christian, as a person, about giving ourselves permission um, to rest. You know, why is that? Why do we sometimes struggle with, you know, should I, shouldn't I? You know, should I take this, you know, day off? Should I go on this vacation? Should I have a weekly Sabbath day that I do have set apart to refresh my soul? Should I do that? Well, yes, we should. And in Romans, so I'll be reading a little bit from Romans chapter 8. So everything that I refer to will be in Romans chapter 8. And what Paul is talking about is he's talking about this very thing. He's talking about this battle that we have within ourselves that is the spirit against the flesh and what that looks like. And um, I do read from the New King James Version just because, not because I feel like that's the only version of the Bible. I do not believe that at all. Just because I love the flowery words I'm, I'm what I call a wordy. I love words and I love the meaning of words and I love to dig down deep into like the original Greek and the original Hebrew and what does that really mean and how was that word really meant. So um, forgive me if it's um, difficult to understand. I try to read it and explain it to myself as I read. So don't think I'm explaining to you. I'm explaining to myself as well as I go. So oftentimes I'll read a verse or two from the Bible, from my New King James Version, and I explain it out loud to myself as I go. So forgive me if um, I start to do that. It's so I can understand what I'm reading also. But um, so I want to read this confusing um, section of chapter eight, because Paul, I can almost envision him because I can see myself doing this. So Paul, as I said, is talking about the struggle that he's having within himself of the flesh and the spirit and how he wants to do good and he wants to do right and he wants to obey God, but then the fleshly side, you know, wants to sin and wants to do the stuff that he knows he shouldn't be doing. And I know that all of us can relate to that in different ways, whatever that context is for us in what we are walking through right at this very moment. We all can relate to that and point to that specific thing like, oh my gosh, yes, I understand and I'm not evil and wrong and bad for having this struggle. I'm human and it's okay. And at the end of the day, as a Christian, we understand that there is forgiveness and there is no condemnation in the Lord, but I'm getting ahead of myself. So I want to read, um, it is Romans chapter 8, and I want to start, um, I think I'll start here in verse 4. So it reads, um, I guess I should go back back up to verse 3. For what the law could not do in that it was weak through the flesh, God sending his own son in the likeness of sinful flesh and for sin, condemned sin in the flesh. So basically what, you know, Paul is saying there is that, okay, you know what? In my flesh, you know, in my humanity, I want to sin. But you know what? God sent his own son, Jesus, in the casing, if you will, of sin, which is flesh, human flesh. And when Jesus died on the cross, the sinful fleshly part of us was put to death with the sin on the cross because Jesus himself is that pure sacrifice that God the Father 
needed for our earthly sin, our human sin, so that now we as Christians, when we are saved, washed in the blood of Jesus, we are no longer held captive by that sin of our humanity, of our flesh, because we can look to the cross and know, wait a minute, my sinful fleshly desires were all crucified at the cross, so I just need to basically claim Jesus, and I can have victory over that sinful fleshly thing that I'm struggling with, whatever that is, which is amazing to think about, and I could talk about that for the entire pod, but I want to um, continue to focus on the battle because I think what Paul says we all can so much relate to. So then um, verse four, that the righteousness of the law might be fulfilled in us who walk not after the flesh, but after the spirit. So basically, again, he's saying as Christians, this law can be fulfilled in that we can have victory because we are striving or trying to walk after the spirit that is now newly living in us as a born-again Christian. We have the Holy Spirit living within us. So we have um, kind of the weapons, if you will, to battle against those fleshly desires, which I don't know about you, but I'm very thankful for. (laughs) Um, Verse 5, for they that are after the flesh do mind the things of the flesh. So if you're trying to be fleshly, you're going to be, and you're going to listen to that sin, and you're going to go do that. But they that are after the Spirit, the things of the Spirit. So when you're trying hard to do something that you know is right, and you feel that inner battle, you have the Holy Spirit within you that you can then um, glean from. So basically pray, you know, Lord, help me, show me, guide me, and the Holy Spirit will show up and will help you and will guide you. I will tell you now, God will never lead you to sin ever because God does not lead us to do things that go against his character. So if you're ever struggling with should I, shouldn't I, get to the core of the issue. What is this about? Is this something that I can do that will honor God? Is this something that will not honor God? If it is something that will not honor God and it's that easy, you can stop right there and know, okay, the Holy Spirit is giving me discernment that this is not honoring God and I know that God will not lead me to do something that goes against his person and his character and his will. And knowing that this will lead me down that road, then no, I should not be doing this. Sometimes it is that simple. Other times it is not so easy and maybe it's a gray area where you are unsure. And to that, I just say, give it earnest prayer and let the Holy Spirit guide you. And when you are not sure, do nothing. Do not do it. Wait as long as you can. Pause and continue to pray and truly ask the Lord to make it abundantly clear to you what you should do. But when it's a gray area, and maybe it's a matter of interpretation, you know, of God's word, go to someone maybe that you trust that will lead you in the right way that you know that God um, would guide you. But don't trust that person. Trust the Lord to lead you and trust that person in what they say in that you will take it as advice and you will pray over that advice that they give you. Don't rely on it with the person. Rely on the word of the Lord that he guides you in regard to the words that that person says and the advice they give to you. I hope that makes sense. (laughs) Um, Okay, verse six. For to be carnally minded is death, but to be spiritually spiritually minded is life and peace. So to only live in the flesh 
and in the humanity and in the sin is going to lead to death, physical and spiritual death. But to be spiritually minded will give you life and peace. So when I think we all know what it means when we're living life and we are heading in the heading in the proper direction, when we know the Lord is leading us, when we know that um, we are seeking his will and we may be in that time we are in the waiting, but we're still obeying and we're walking and we're doing and we are celebrating the fact that we know that the Lord is guiding us in the right direction. We may not see the end result at the time, but we know that those steps of walking in that way lead to life and peace. And I will say peace in your spirit is huge. It is huge. And I feel that the Lord gives peace in our spirit when we are walking in the right way, when we are making the choices that the Lord has for us. I believe that peace in our soul is a huge blessing that goes along with rest And I don't mean physical rest, but I mean rest in your spirit. When you just feel at peace, I truly feel that peace is a huge blessing from the Lord. And with that peace comes contentment and comes joy. Now, joy is not an emotion. Joy is a state of being. Uh, Happiness is an emotion. Like, oh, I feel happy today. Today's a good day. But to have joy in your being, in your spirit, it is a state of being. I can be walking through something that is awful, but in my spirit, I have joy because I have the Lord. Kind of like at the end of the day, I know I will get through this struggle, this trial, but at this moment, I can still have joy in the Lord because joy is a state of being. It is a state of of who I am. It is not an emotion. And that's why I have taught our children, do not rely on your emotions because emotions are unreliable. And as we all know, our emotions change sometimes by the moment. So we cannot base our spirituality, our relationship with the Lord, really, and with others, we shouldn't, um, based on emotion. You know, you made me mad today. I don't love you anymore. That's not true. Uh, You made me angry. That's an emotion. I'm feeling that right now, but I will always love you. Um, To me, that's kind of the way I relate to joy in the Lord is that Yeah, there are days when I don't understand what God is doing. I don't understand what's going on. I don't understand, and it makes me frustrated with the Lord. But I have continual joy with the Lord. Like when you get down to the core of it, he has blessed me with joy and love. Of course, I will always love God for the sacrifice that he has made for me. I will always love Jesus because of the sacrifice he has made for me. But it doesn't mean that my emotions don't ebb and flow and wane. And boy, aren't we glad that God is not human and that God's love never changes and that God is the same yesterday, today, and forever, and that he is always who he says he is and he does not change like shifting shadows, as we do. Um, Sometimes with our emotions, we wane with the wind. So anyway, um, so verse six was talking about, you know, if you choose to be carnally minded, in other words, living in the flesh, it's going to lead to death. And if you choose to live spiritually minded, it will lead to life and peace, great amazing blessings. Verse 7 in chapter 8 of Romans. Because the carnal mind is enmity, enmity, I always struggle with that word, is enmity against God. Enmity just means it's against. So it's completely opposite um, of God and what he wants us to do, living carnally minded, living fleshly. For it is not this, it is not subject to the law of God, neither indeed can be. So then they that are in the flesh cannot please God. So if you um, are living for sin and living for this world, 
you can't please God. And I want to interject in here. I myself in my humanity, I can't please God. I can though, as scripture tells me in Philippians, I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me. So you'll see the difference there that in my fleshliness, in my own humanity, my good works are like dirty rags. Um, But as a new creature, as a Christian, as someone who's washed in the blood of Jesus, as a born again Christian, I can do all things, not through me, not because I'm so great, absolute opposite, zero truth in that, but I can do all things through Christ, my Lord and Savior, who strengthens me. So I am equipped with the Holy Spirit, which is the gift through salvation from God, salvation through Jesus, that I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me. I can't do all things in myself. That's not what God's word says. Oh yeah, Heidi can do everything through herself because isn't she so great? Wrong. (laughs) Way wrong. Nope. In my humanity, I can do nothing. I can do nothing apart from Christ. And God's word tells me, however, through Christ, I can do all things, which I love. Like when I was training for my marathons, I would tell myself that verse over and over again. You know, because, you know, if you're a runner, you'll get to that point where you're like, okay, I'm done. But you know, your body can give you more. So in your mind, you have to tell yourself you can go. So in my mind, my mantra, if you will, would be, I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me. I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me. And I would run and tell myself that over and over and over in my mind, because, you know, through God's strength, through the strength of the Holy Spirit, I could finish that whole marathon. I could run that next mile. I could get past that next hurdle. So whatever, um, you know, is going on right now, whatever you're struggling with right now, it may seem horrible, awful, terrible, and you just really don't know how you're going to do it. Well, I'm here to tell you, you are not going to do it because you can't in your strength, but through Christ, you can do it. You will do it. It will get accomplished. And you will know at the end of the day that the Lord gave you the strength to do, to do that. So at the end of the day, you give God the glory. And that's what it's all about at the end of the day is giving God the glory for you being able to accomplish what you could accomplish through him and through the strength that he gave you. You in turn are so grateful and so thankful that you return the honor and glory and thanks and praise to the one who gave you the strength to do it, which is God the Father, through Jesus Christ, his Son, and the gift of the Holy Spirit that lives within you. Just amazing stuff. So anyway, um, verse 9, he says, But ye are not in the flesh, but in the Spirit, if so be that the Spirit of God dwell in you. Now if any man have not the Spirit of God, or Spirit, excuse me, Spirit of Christ, he is none of his. And if Christ be in you, the body is dead because of sin, but the Spirit is life because of righteousness. So they're just talking more about how you live in the flesh and not in the spirit. And if you live in the flesh, you're apart from God. And if you live in the spirit and you are seeking God and you are saved and you have the Holy Spirit in you, then you will be seeking after the things of God. And verse 11, it says, but if the spirit of him that raised up Jesus from the dead dwell in you, so the Holy Spirit, he that raised up Christ from the dead shall also quicken your mortal bodies by his spirit that dwelleth in you. So that means um, that, yep, you also will be raised from the dead. You also will be made new. You also will be raised up. And 
to me, I think this is talking about, yes, your mortal bodies. Like, so when you die, your body kind of like, I like to say like the casing that your soul lives in, which is your body. When my kids were younger, I would talk with them and help them understand it as though you're wearing a Halloween costume. Like you put it on and at the end of the day, you take off the Halloween costume. Well, that's your body. But the part that makes you you is still living and that's your spirit. And that's the part that goes on to live with the Lord in heaven after you pass away. So anyway, the mortal body um, is what we leave behind. But as a new Christian, let's say, let's say, for example, that you are 50 years old. Okay, I'm 50 years old. Let's say you're 50 years old and you just accepted Jesus as your savior yesterday. Okay, and you're struggling hard you're struggling really hard with this new Christianity. Like, what do I do with it? I don't, I don't know. Like, I know, okay, yes, that, you know, God's word tells me and it told me and tells me that, you know, all the wrong I've done for the whole 50 years of my life are dead and I am a new creature. Okay. That's great. Like in theory, but how do I walk this new road? Like, what does that look like? And I think this verse also speaks to that. I think this verse speaks to that person who's struggling with the sins they committed before they knew the Lord and how those sins may haunt them kind of. Well, I'm here to tell you those were put to death on the cross and that is Satan who is bringing them back to your mind constantly. So what I would encourage you to do is I would encourage you to remind yourself maybe moment by moment when you're being hit hard with those um, things of the past. And maybe there are things you did or said that haunt you that you've asked forgiveness for and you know that it's done and it's over, but they keep creeping back once in a while to your mind. When those come back to your mind, remember in this verse, you know, in Romans 8, 11, where it says that those things are put to death. Those things are done. Those things are past. Those things are gone. And you are a new creature who can now get past those things because you do have Christ. You have the Holy Spirit living within you and you can do all things through Christ who strengthens you and you can get past those. Even if you have to, you know, write it on a three by five card and post it all over your house or put it in your wallet or your purse or on the mirror um, in the bathroom or on the dash of your vehicle as you drive, Repeat the truths of God to yourself over and over and over again and say out loud, Satan, get those things out of my mind because I will tell you, Satan can't hear your prayers because he's not everywhere. He doesn't hear everything. But if you say it out loud, that's where Satan dwells is in this world. You know, Satan is the king of this world, meaning of all of the sin and the evil that goes on in this world. However, greater is he that is within you than he that is in the world. God's word tells you that. So you need to tap into the Holy Spirit that is now within you and say and declare in Jesus' name out loud, Satan be gone. You know, even Jesus spoke that to one of his disciples when he told him, you know, don't do this, don't go there. And Jesus knew he had to go to the cross. And Jesus looked him in the eye and said, get behind me, Satan, because he knew that that's where that was coming from. Not that he was saying that his disciple was Satan, but what the person was saying to him, he knew was wrong and was from Satan and telling him, no, get out of here, get away. That is not it. That's not what I meant to do. And Jesus himself was drawing strength from God the Father 
who gave him the ability to, you know, walk that road of going to the cross. So I encourage you, if you are a new Christian, even if you're not a Christian, I encourage you to seek out the Lord. And if you truly are looking for answers, you will find them. If you pray and you say, you know, God, I just, I don't know about all this Jesus stuff that Heidi talks about and the Holy Spirit stuff and all of that. If you're a non-Christian and you're listening and you really want to seek after that, cry out to the Lord, literally out loud, you know, say, God, help me. I don't understand. Show me, you know, bring someone across my path or, you know, help me to open up the Bible somewhere and to understand it and show me someone that can help me to understand these things. God will not uh, leave you hanging, so to speak. He will not just leave you floating around out there wondering and seeking after him and going, ha ha, you can't find me. It's not, that's not how it works. If you truly are seeking after the Lord, cry out to him, ask him, pray for the courage and strength to talk to somebody maybe that you know that is a Christian and um, ask them, seek someone out and um, look for answers. God will lead you and you will not be left um, alone without answers. Um, pardon me. <coughs> oh, excuse me. Okay. So verse 12, chapter eight, verse 12. Therefore, brethren, we are debtors, not to the flesh, to live after the flesh. For So this is the part where it gets all kind of um, confusing. And this is the part I just love and can so relate to. Therefore, brethren, we are debtors, not to the flesh, to live after the flesh. For if ye live after the flesh, ye shall die. But if ye through the Spirit do mortify the deeds of the body, ye shall live. For as many as are led by the Spirit of God, they are the sons of God. Sons or daughters is, you know, how that can be translated. For ye have not received the spirit of bondage again to fear, but ye have received the spirit of adoption, whereby we cry, Abba, Daddy, Excuse me, Abba means daddy and father. Because it says, whereby we cry, Abba, Father. The Spirit itself beareth witness with our spirit that we are the children of God. And if children, then heirs, heirs of God, and joint heirs with Christ, if so, be that we suffer with him, that we may also be glorified together. For I reckon that the sufferings of the present time are not worthy to be compared with the glory which shall be revealed in us. So this is all talking about like, okay, if you kind of lose hope and um, you are struggling to remember the great promise that you have. And part of the great and precious promises that we have is that as Christians, we will be joint heirs. So just think about this for a minute, joint heirs. So an heir obviously is someone that inherits something from someone. Someone passes away and they you inherit something. Well, this is telling us that we are not just heirs of God, okay, but we are joint heirs with Christ. So think about that for a minute. Jesus Christ, God's only son, who is completely perfect, sinless, um, pure, walked this earth, never sinned ever. We are joint heirs with Christ. And what are we joint heirs of? We are joint heirs of the glory in heaven that we will be enjoying with Jesus and with God the Father and with the Holy Spirit in heaven and we'll all be glorified together. We will have new bodies. I don't know what that looks like. I have no idea. I joke around and say, you know, whatever your quote perfect body is for you, that's what it's going to be in heaven. You know, so you're going to, you know, all the women are going to be, you know, gorgeous and, you know, have these fabulous bodies and all the men are going to be all, you know, whatever they want to, whatever their context is, they want to be buff. They want to be strong. They want to be tall. They want to be, 
you know, whatever, I don't know. Um, I joke around and say, that's what your glorified body is going to be, whatever that context is for you as the perfect, beautiful body. That's what it's going to be. What it's going to be really, I have no idea. (laughs) Um, I just know that we all get perfect glorified bodies in heaven, which I think is wonderful. Anyway, um, so I'm saying all of this, one, to give you hope, (laughs) Uh, two, to let you know that we all battle and struggle inside. We all have that inward struggle. And if you've been wondering, what is that inward struggle about that I'm having? It's your flesh and your spirit wrestling together. And don't, don't give up and don't think that you're wrong for struggling inside and having those spiritual battles. To me, having those spiritual battles is almost good because it means you're trying to work out your faith. You're trying to wrestle around and figure out what does all of this look like for me and what do I do? How do I walk this road? So don't despair if you are having a spiritual struggle. I think that's good because to me that tells you that you really are trying to work out your faith and you really are trying to seek the Lord. So don't think that you're wrong or you're a failure for struggling and having that inward battle, if you will, because as we can see that Paul himself had that inward struggle in that inward battle with um, sin. And I, I guess I'll read, I was debating, should I read this? Should I read, not read this? I guess I will in chapter seven of Romans, where Paul really kind of digs down into this. I'm trying to find the exact verses so I can read them to you. So here we go. So it's, um, I'll start in verse 13. So chap- Romans chapter 7, verse 13. Was then which is, which is good made death unto me? God forbid, but sin that it might appear sin, working death in me by that which is good, that sin by the commandment might become exceeding sinful. Now here we go. Verse 14. For we know that the law is spiritual, but I am carnal, sold under sin. For that which I, this is the part where he's battling back and forth really hard with this. For that which I do, I allow not. For what I would, that do I not. But what I hate, that I do. Blah, 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 blah. What does all that mean? Well, basically what he's saying is, I'm doing stuff that I don't want to do. And the things that I want to do, I'm not doing. The things that I hate is what I'm doing basically is what he's saying. In verse 16, if then I do that which I would not, I consent unto the law that it is good. Now then, it is no more I that do it, but sin that dwelleth in me. For I know that in me, that is in my flesh, dwelleth no good thing. For to will is present with me, but how to perform that which is good, I find not. So basically in those few verses, what he's saying is, okay, I'm realizing that when I'm doing wrong, I'm doing that in like my humanity, in my flesh. And I feel like I can't do good. And he's realizing, well, guess what? You can't, what I had mentioned already, you know, in my sin and in my humanity, I can't. However, there is hope, like I had said, because through Christ, you can do all things. And he's realizing that I can do good, but I have to find that good within me. And aha, the good that is within me, any good, any good and perfect gift is from above. And that's what he's realizing here is that, wait, I can do good, but I have to realize that the ability for me to do good doesn't rely on me. 
I have to rely on the Holy Spirit, the giver of good. I have to rely on God. Verse 19 of chapter 7, For the good that I would, I do not, but the evil which I would not, that I do. So he's going back to realizing, you know, the stuff that I don't want to do, I'm doing. The stuff that I do want to do, I'm not doing. Verse 20, Now if I do that, I would not, it is no more I that do it, but sin that dwelleth in me. So he's realizing and recognizing that the bad that he wants to do, it's the sinful nature of him that is doing those things. In verse 21, he says, I find then a law that when I would do good, evil is present with me. So he's like, I'm trying to do good, but I can't shake this evil. Kind of like what I was talking about before when you know, you're trying in your humanity and you're just, you can't do it. For I delight in the law of God after the inward man. He's saying, but I want to do good. You know, I want to please the Lord and I want to be happy and I want to do what is right. Verse 22, but I see another law in my members warring against the law in the law of my mind and bringing me into captivity to the law of sin, which is in my members. So he's saying, but I'm basically looking around and I'm like, golly, Ned, I just, I can't seem to do good because, you know, I feel like I'm held captive by this wrong and by this sin that I'm doing because I just seem to like my members, meaning like my body, my arms, my legs, my eyes, my ears, whatever, just can't seem to stay away from this. And it's, you know, my body is doing this sin and I, I'm willing, like I'm trying to make my eyes not look at that or make my hands not do that or my feet to not go there, but I just, I can't. And then at the end, and not in the end, but verse 24, he says, oh, wretched man that I am. And I'm sure we've all felt that before. Like, oh, I'm just so you know, we're very good at berating ourselves, like, oh, I'm so stupid, or I'm so dumb, or I'm so bad, or I'm evil, or I'm wrong, or I'm, you know, I'm unlovable. I'm here to tell you those are lies from the pit of hell. Not true. You are not unlovable. I want to tell a quick aside story here. Um, so the school that I work in, uh, I the very first year I was there, I had a student who was adopted, wonderful young lady, a uh, third grader, and just a sweet, sweet girl, tried so hard and I would talk with her mom and her mom said, yeah, uh, she was, this is awful to me and it brings me to tears. Her mom said to me, oh yes, she was deemed by the state as unadoptable. <laughs> what? <laughs> and, and honestly, it does. It brings me to tears to think that anyone, anyone would even think for a moment that they have the right to label a child ever as unadoptable. And you think of that label, and I, I picture like a gigantic rubber stamp being stamped across that child's forehead, you know, clunk, unadoptable. Oh my gosh, really? Unbelievable. This child is the sweetest, most lovable, kind child. Tried so hard and to think that someone labeled her as unadoptable, I find that shameful. To think that you can label someone like that, it, it literally stops me in my tracks. And I just, my heart and my spirit cry and they ache to think that there are children in this world that are labeled like that. It's so awful. It is so awful. And... I bring that up because I think that all of us feel unadoptable, kind of at times. We feel unlovable. We believe the lies, you know, that we've heard from people in our lives, you know, that you are, you, you, 
you are no good, you are stupid, you can't do that. All of those labels are honestly, they're from the pit of hell, it's not true. We all are adoptable. We're all adoptable into the family of God. Every single one of us, I don't care what our context is, I don't care what we look like, what we're shaped like, what our mental capacity is, I do not care. It does not matter. We are all um, creations of God and he loves every single one of us and we all are adoptable into his family and he loves us all. And we all have said, as Paul did here in verse 24 of chapter 7 of Romans, oh, wretched man that I am. We've all told ourselves those labels, those um, things that we've been told by other people, oh, terrible person that I am. Oh, rotten girl, woman, man, boy, child, adult, older person, young person, middle-aged person, doesn't matter. We've all berated ourselves in the same way that Paul is right here. And then he says, who shall deliver me from the body of this death? And we've all felt that way before. We've all been there and we've all been to that pit and we've all said, oh my gosh, who's going who's gonna to deliver me from this? Who's going to get me out of this? Because I know in this body, this flesh of sin that's headed towards death, I know I can't do it. And verse 25 has the answer. I thank God through Jesus Christ, our Lord. So then with the mind, I myself serve the law of God, but with the flesh, the law of sin. So I want to circle back to the beginning of verse 25, where he says, I thank God through Jesus Christ, our Lord. And that's it. That's where it all begins and ends is with God. Are we thanking God through Jesus Christ, our Lord? Are we allowing him to do his will and his work in our flesh so that we can live in the spirit instead of in the flesh, instead of in the humanity? And we cry out, Abba, Father. We cry out, Daddy. We cry out to the Lord and he answers. And God is faithful. God is good. He will answer. So I want to give all of us um, hope. And I hope that you find rest to circle back to my first point, to know that rest is good. It is created of God, and we are to set apart a day of rest, our Sabbath. We may battle in our flesh, as I've been talking about back and forth here in Romans. We do battle in our spirit with wanting to do wrong and wanting to do right, but struggle no more with allowing yourself that day of rest because it is godly, it is biblical, it is right. And if you do struggle with sin, as we all do, bring it to the Lord and we will have freedom because remember God's word in Philippians, I believe it's Philippians 4.16, if I'm not mistaken, that uh, God's word tells us we can have victory. We will have victory. We will have ultimate victory because when our fleshly body dies, remember we are joint heirs with Christ and we have the glory of heaven waiting for us. So I hope you find rest today. Do not feel guilty about having your Sabbath. Enjoy the rest and enjoy the peace and rest of your soul that you have with Christ as Lord and Savior. And if you do not know the Lord, I encourage you to seek someone out that can help you with that today um, and that you find true joy in the Lord and that you walk in light as he is in the light. Until next time.